All right, Joshua chapter 1 is where we're at. Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 18. You can stand if you like, and we're gonna, I'm going to read that, and you can follow along in your Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen. Joshua chapter 1, we're really looking at verses 7 and 8. We're going to hang out there most of today, um, but I am going to refer a little bit to the latter part of chapter 1, so we're going to read that, and it's, it's got a cool point to it. So beginning in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp, and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over, armed before your brothers, and shall help them. And so the Lord gives rest to your brothers. As he has to you. They also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you've commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys the words that whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Father, we're so grateful for this book. Uh, Father, for truth, for the power of your Holy Spirit that changes us, makes us into different people. Father, there, there are weak ones among us that need strength. Father, there are those here today who are confused, who need guidance. Father, there are those who are weary, who need perseverance. God, there are those who are facing insurmountable obstacles. Father, please give help. Father, we ask that you give all these things through the word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, one thing before we start. Did, has it been announced about the janitor position here? I'm supposed to announce that the janitor position at the Lincoln campus is open. And so if you would like that, uh, if you'd like to be considered for that, please uh, apply in the church to the church office. We've got applications there. Or talk to a member of the personnel committee for sure. But do both those things. Um, I'm not seeing any members of the personnel come in here, are there? Um, Brian Billings, um, Ryan Clem, um, Teresa Wales, uh, Deborah Treadway, she's not here. Um, anyway, so, uh, uh, anyway, that's all I guess I have to say about that. I was going to try to describe the position for you, but basically do whatever needs to be done in nights, weekends, um, middle of the night, um, it better be a ministry. All right, so, all right, enough of that. Last week, I gave you a long run into Joshua, right? We started way back here in Abraham with his promises, and I led you all the way up into um, Joshua at the promised land. I'm not going to do that again, but I, I do believe whenever we're in the Old Testament, it's really important for you to get the context. So I'm going to get a short run, okay? So the short run at this was that God, through the power of Moses, his servant, delivered the children of Israel 
out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. He delivered them out through uh, 10 miraculous plagues, through the parting of the Red Sea. And now they're on the way to the promised land. They stop at the mountain. They get the Ten Commandments. They get to the edge of the promised land. All is gone fairly well. A little bit of disobedience, a little bit of rebuke happening there. But for the most part, they're at the edge of the promised land. They're at the edge of what God had promised them, the life that God had promised them. And they send out 12 spies into the land, right? All 12 spies come back agreeing on one thing. Man, God did not lie. Like, he didn't let us down here. This is a great land. It's a great life. What God is giving us is every bit as good as he says it was, all right? Ten of those spies, however, said one huge problem. There's already people here. And those people have fortified cities. And those people hate us. And those people are well-armed. And their militaries are well-armed. This was a bad idea. We are not going to be able to do this. We should have stayed in Egypt. We shouldn't have listened to Moses. We shouldn't have listened to God. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, Whoa, 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 whoa. If God said we can do it, then he'll give us the land. God, we just need to trust him, guys. We just need to trust him. Let's go. And Joshua and Caleb take off. And they get, have you ever happened to you? They get about 20 steps and they look back. Nobody's following, right? Never happened to you? Let's go. Nobody's following. The generation would not trust God. And so, for 40 years, that generation wandered in the wilderness until every single one of them, besides jo- except for Joshua and Caleb, died wandering in the wilderness. All right? It's a great testimony to don't be unbelieving. Don't not trust God. All right, now they're back there again. So 40 years has happened. The entire generation is, is, has died off. Joshua and Caleb are back at the same spot, ready to go into the promised land with the children of that unbelieving generation. And now this is God's message to Joshua. All right, that's what we read. That's what we're going to look at. You know, imagine if you're Joshua. You're about to lead a nation of slaves with virtually no military experience into a conglomeration of nations to overtake them and possess the land. You know what? You got yourself about a thousand problems on your hand. Do you not? Um, You've got yourself all kinds of challenges and obstacles and setbacks. You know, if you remember anything about Moses' experience leading the children of Israel for 40 years, I mean, you got whining and criticism and military coups, and you got all kinds of problems. What what is clear is that Joshua is going to need strength, and he's going to need perseverance, and he's going to need wisdom, and he's going to need power, and he's going to need hope and joy and patience and a whole lot more. Where is he going to get all that? Well, God is very clear. Okay, listen. He's going to get it from the Bible. Okay, God, God gives Joshua an impossible task, and then he says, okay, Joshua, the way that you succeed, the way that you prosper, the way that you're blessed, Joshua, is by getting in this book, staying in this book, and obeying everything in this book. Two times, he tells in verse 7 and verse 8, he says, be careful, verse 7, to do according to all the law of Moses. That that was their Bible at that time, the law of Moses, okay? In verse 8, he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's in it, okay? So here's a guy facing a thousand logistical problems. How in the world is he even going to get the nation of Israel across the Jordan River? I mean, they haven't even figured that out. And God tells him, Joshua, the number one thing here is that you be in this book night and day. Then you'll succeed. All right, as I look at that passage, and then as I look at Psalm 1, which we're going to look at in a minute, which is for every Christian, and when I look at Matthew 7, which is for every born-again believer, and when I look at James 1, which is for every born-again believer, you know know what I see there? I see that what God said to Joshua is absolutely true for us. So moms, How are you going to fulfill your calling to your children? How are you going to deal with constant needs and struggles? How are you going to to discipline your little ones? Much less, how are you going to disciple them? How, How are you going to balance all the spinning plates that moms have to balance? Okay? 
Now, now the, the resounding you know, re- reply from Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church thus far this morning, how is a mom going to do all that? What does she need? She needs some more sleep, right? That, that's, what, that's what most of the moms are going to say. Man, I just need, if I, if I had a good night's rest, I could conquer the world, you know? That's what they're going to say. Or some moms are going to say, you know, if I just had a husband who would get off his keister and do a little something, you know, it'd be a whole lot easier. Some of the moms are going to answer and say, you know what? If things were just easier, why does it have to be so hard? That's what, that's what a lot of moms are going to say. But you know what the Bible is saying here this morning? It's saying, it's the answer. That is incredibly cool. It's incredibly cool that, that God would give us these insurmountable obstacles and challenges and callings upon our life and then say, and I'm giving you a book. I'm giving you my truth and it is everything you need to succeed. Men, what do you need to be a success in life? Well, you need to do something significant. All, all men want to be a success. All men want to do something significant. All men want to invest in their sons and their daughters and their wife in a way that enables their family to thrive and build a legacy or a heritage. How are you going to do that, men? Well, the Bible is super clear on this. You, you've got to be a person of the book. You're here this morning. You need strength. You need consistency. You need perseverance. You need joy in trials. Are you a person here that needs hope in despairing times? Are you, are you needing the ability to love when it's hard or discernment in confusing times? Where are you going to get all of that? Where are you going to get what you need? You're going to get it from the Bible. That is the Bible's testimony about itself. Success is contingent upon obedience to the Word of God. Psalm 1, let's get to it. We're going to come back to it over and over again. Psalm 1, the reason I picked Psalm 1 is it says the exact same thing that God says to Joshua, except it's not in a context, right? It's not, in, it's not about this guy who's about to go to war. It's, it's just for everybody, okay? And so Psalm 1 says, blessed, you could translate that, that, that word satisfied or happy or thriving or flourishing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's right, Rio. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Exact same thing he said to Joshua. All right, so are you seeing a theme here, right? So here's a guy facing an insurmountable task, and God says the answer for you is get in this book, immerse your mind in it, know it, know me through it, meditate on it, embrace it, memorize it, and obey it, and you'll succeed. And then the Psalms opens up. The worship book of the Old Testament of the Bible opens up with Psalm 1 saying, here is the happy guy. Here is the satisfied guy. The the person who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. Now, I'm seeing a theme here. I'm seeing that if we want to succeed, then we will be people of the book. Now, I... One of the things about this message, nothing new, okay? So uh, a lot of times we come to church, uh, we come into the Bible to know something new. Um, you're probably not going to get that today. Um, maybe, but, but probably not. But, but here's, here's, here is the question today. Why don't we believe this? Now, I'm, I'm, some of you may. But, but the reason, the way you'll know whether you believe this is whether you spend significant amounts of time meditating on the Word of God. That's how you know you believe this. If, if you spend very little time in the Word of God, so if this week you spent very little time grappling in the Scriptures, then you are believing that something else is the means of success. What, what is that thing? I'm, I'm not asking you to answer, but I would be curious of you just exploring that in your mind. What is it that you believe will bring you success? Okay, if, if, you, if you didn't carve out significant time to immerse your mind in the Scriptures and meditate on it, make sure you're obeying all that's commanded, then what, what is it that you believe will bring happiness, success? It's interesting. For Joshua, success is real, real clear, right? It's cut and dry here. So for him, what, 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 is he, what does he need to succeed at? He needs to succeed at possessing all that God has promised and provided, right? God's, pro- God's promised a life for the Israelites, for Joshua. He's provided a land, right? So success for him is to possess the promised land. 
but actually, not just him, but all of his brothers as well. The, the, one of the things I love about verses 10 through 18, and I, we may even do a whole sermon on this. I don't, I probably not. But, but one of the things that I think is really cool is that Joshua, or God tells them, um, and Joshua, they, they tell the Israelites in verse 12, there, there's three tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that, is, that their, their inheritance is outside the land, the promised land, the boundaries, right? So, so right now, Joshua and all of Israel is parked at the Jordan River, okay? Three of the tribes already have their inheritance. Like, they, it's right outside, on the other side of the Jordan. You know, so, so as, as we read this, as chapter 1 is happening, there are Israelite women who are hanging up picture frames and little doilies and little swags and decorating houses. There, there, are, there are Israelite young boys that are herding sheep into pens that, that none of them built. They're possessing their inheritance, which just happens to be on the other side of the Jordan, on, on the side they're on. And so what, what 10 through 18 is about is God says, hey, you've already got your inheritance. Awesome. But listen. Your work is not done until all your brothers do as well. Notice verse um, 14. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers. Right? So, so it's on them not only to possess the land, but that their brothers do as well. I, th- I just think it's a great discipleship passage. I think it's a, it's a great picture of us in the church that I should not be content with my salvation, but that I should not rest until my brothers have their inheritance as well. I think it's just a beautiful picture. That's success. That's what I'm getting at. So what's success for Joshua? Possess the life, the land that God has provided and promised to them. What is success for us? Possess the life that God has promised and provided. It is the same thing. Listen, success is not you getting your goals checked off. You know why? Sometimes your goals are wrong. Have you, have you figured that out? That sometimes what you think is going to be the thing isn't the thing? Hitler accomplished a lot of his goals. He was not a success, Okay? He successed right into hell, right? He successed right into genocide and right into tens of thousands of people being murdered, all right? So, so just accomplishing your goals is not success, all right? Success is having the life that God has promised and provided, right? Does that make sense? Success is having the life that God has promised and provided. And the Bible is telling you that success for us, having the life that God has provided and promised will be centered around the scriptures. Why the scriptures? What does the Bible do in you and I that brings about this flourishing, this success? Well, um, lots of things. I've, I've picked out some of my favorites here, okay? So, so first of all, the Bible stirs up faith, okay? Are you a person of faith here this morning? I hope that you are. I hope that you're a person that's living by faith. You're a person that's trusting Jesus but if you're not in your Bible on a regular basis, your faith is hungry, okay? You're starving. What? Have you tried not eating for a while? Have you ever tried that, huh? Um, you get a little weak, right? You get a little lightheaded, you know? You get a little cranky, all right? Until you need to feed your body, okay? So the Bible tells us faith is fed by the Word of God. Romans ten seventeen says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, all right? So, so if we make a box here and we put faith in it, all right? So me trusting Christ, which also involves treasuring Christ, saving Christ, loving Christ, enjoying Christ, following Christ, obeying Christ, all those things are involved in faith, right? Being a person of faith. Okay, so the Bible says that my faith is fed. It, is, it, it comes about. It's increased by the word of God. And why is that? What do you have to have faith in if you don't have the word of God? What do you believe in? You see, our, our society believes something real funny about faith. It believes you can just have it. So, so when, when we fill out a lot of our, our uh, benevolence forms as we get to interview people in the community that are coming in for assistance, one of the questions is, you know, are you a person of faith or whatever? It's interesting to see what people say about that. Because a lot of people will say, yeah, actually everybody. I don't know that I've ever had anybody say they're not, not a person of faith. But when you ask them, well, what are you trusting in? They'll be like, well, I'm trusting in myself. Um, you know, believe in yourself. You ever heard that? Believe in yourself. What does that mean? I don't, I don't know. 
I guess that means believing my own ability to mess up my life because that's what I do really well on my own, you know? But biblical faith is based on something, right? What is it based on? Truth, right? It's based on what God has said, what God has done, what God is going to do, all right? And so, so faith is fed by the word of God. And so listen, if you're not taking in regular doses of God's word, your faith is anemic, it's starving, it's hungry. It doesn't have anything to stir it up. But as you embrace and take in the word of God, your faith, your faith is fed. So number one, faith is stirred up, fed, increased by the word of God as you believe it. Number two, you are equipped for every situation in life by the word of God. So how do you do good in every situation in life? The word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right? So first of all, Romans 10 tells us that that the Word of God feeds faith, okay? Second of all, 2 Timothy tells us that the Scriptures equip you for every good work. So how are you going to do good when your best friend cheats on their husband and comes to you for advice, how are you going to do good in that situation? By the word of God. So the person who is immersed in the word of God, meditating on it day and night, they're going to be equipped. They're going to have the tools. They're going to have the demeanor. They're going to have the emotional, whatever they need to do good in that situation. How are you going to do good when you have the conversation with a homeless person at Walmart? Word of God. How are you going to do good when your nephew confides in you that he struggled with same-sex attraction? Word of God. How are you going to do good when your child is despairing over the disappointments of the seventh grade? Seventh grade is disappointing. It was for me. It, it, was the, it was the first time I realized that there were cool people and not cool people. And I was pretty sure I was on the not cool side. How are you going to handle that, parents? Not well. You will not do well if you're not in the Word of God. Can I really say that with authority? Well, man, the Bible has just told us in Psalm 1, in Joshua 1, over and again, that success comes from his word. And then Timothy is very specific that we are equipped for every good work, everything God puts in our path by his word. How are you going to do good when your spouse is suffering from depression, when they are in a dark place and you can't get them out? By his word. How are you going to do good when your boss treats you unjustly and your coworkers have it in for you? By the word of God. The word of God makes us competent for every good work. So Romans 10, the word of God feeds faith. It, it, it fuels your faith. Okay, it's food for your faith. Okay, number two, 2 Timothy 3, it equips us for every good work. Number three, it shows us the glory of God. And seeing the glory of God transforms you, Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, favorite verse here at Lincoln Avenue. When I say favorite verse at Lincoln Avenue, I, what I mean by that is my, one of my favorite verses, so I, I tell it to you a lot, all right? I'm not putting that on you, but you see this a lot because I love it, okay? 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. What does that mean? Beholding, seeing. It means as we see the glory of God, as we see that he's fantastic, he's everything that I need. He's more than enough. We sang that song this morning, 8.30. More than enough. As I see that God is in every way sufficient for my every need, as I see the glory of God, what happens? I'm being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who's the Spirit. Now, it's interesting. You know what the context of that passage is? It's seeing the glory of God. But I know we can do that in lots of different ways. Nature, special revelation, but the context and the primary way that you and I see the glory of God is the scriptures. Look at verse 15. 15 says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read. What does what that mean? That means whenever your Old Testament is read. That's all, that's all Paul's talking about. Why, why, why did he say Moses? Because that's all the scripture there was when Paul was writing this. So essentially he's saying scripture, whenever the scripture's read. 
Okay, so the context of this seeing the glory of God is the scriptures. So what do the scriptures do? They show us God's character. They show us who he is. And again, that transforms us. Okay, so let's review. Romans 10, the scriptures feed our faith. 2 Corinthians 3, the scriptures equip us for every good work. 2 Corinthians 3, or no, that was 2 Timothy 3. 2 Corinthians 3, the scriptures show us the glory of God, which leads to transformation. Now, we could look at a bunch of others. John 17, 17 talks about this, how the Bible um, sanctifies us. Hebrews 4 talks about how the Bible lays open our, our motives and our heart. But what I want to get to this morning is how exactly does this happen? Okay? Because what I'm afraid is that some of you have already started to shut me down saying, okay, basically what he's saying today is read your Bible. And I've already tried that. Okay. I'm not saying read your Bible. Did you notice that Joshua 1, God does not say to Joshua, read your Bible. In Psalm 1, he does not say, read your Bible. In, in 2 Corinthians, it does not say, it doesn't say that, okay? What, what Psalm 1 and what, what Joshua 1 very clearly say is, meditate on it day and night. That's different. That's different. So I got home last night, late, uh, from a wedding, and I got the mail, and I was interested in a couple pieces of mail, so I opened them up. Let me tell you my experience, okay? The first one I opened up was from Alliance Health, from the Woodward Hospital. Those are so sweet to get, aren't they? So I opened that baby up. I did not even take it out, okay? I was, now, you know I'm interested because I opened it first, right? Opened it up. Didn't even take it out. I peeled it open. It said, my name. Okay, it's to me. It's right, all right? It said uh, Haddon Dirks. It was for something Haddon had done. Uh, gave the date of his service. It gave the amount, $55.07. I was like, yeah, small one, right? You know, $55.07, and then it gave the due date. I closed it up. It had a whole bunch of other stuff on there. Don't care. Don't, uh, you, know, uh, you know what I did? I read the minimum amount needed to shut it, and then I put it in my bag, all right? Second piece of mail was from Pence Community Church the church that I did a mission conference at in January. I was more interested in this one. I opened it up. First of all, it was a bulletin. It was from their mission coordinator. It was a bulletin, and it had circled and starred a couple things in the bulletin. It was their mission trips. They're going to, they're going to do a mission in Scott City, and then they're going to do a mission at a foster home, uh, like a children's home for kids in uh, Perry, Kansas. All right? Then it gave a brochure that looked a lot like our missions brochure. You know why it looked a lot like our missions brochure? Because I took them one of ours for them to model theirs after. And so they were sending it to see what they'd done. So I, I would look through briefly at, at their missionaries and how much they gave per month, and how much they'd given total for the year. I bruised through that. It was pretty interesting. And then I shut it and put it. I did not meditate on either one of those. Okay, so what I'm telling you is if you're reading your Bible, like either one of those, if, first of all, you're reading your Bible so you can put in your minimum amount of time so you can close it, you're not doing what Joshua said. If you're reading your Bible because you're curious about what's in it, you're a little excited about something, and then you're closing it, you're still not doing what Joshua said. That's not what he said to do. Okay, very clearly, God said to Joshua, let's read it again, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Oh, that's different. You shall meditate on it day and night. That's different. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Well, that's different. Okay, so it's not just reading your Bible. Okay? It is the process by which the Holy Spirit has ordained that we be changed, transformed, that our faith be fed, that we be equipped for every good work, that we see the glory of God. That's what we're talking about here, okay? So let's talk about what does it mean to meditate? By definition, the word meditate means to murmur, mutter, growl, speak, or muse. It means to run over in your head over and over, to mentally chew on. It's a picture of a cow chewing its cud. He brings it up. He chews it. He brings it up. He chews it. He brings it up. Back down, up, back down. He is blocking out all the distractions and forcing your mind to seriously consider the truths of the Scriptures. One of the ways I like to explain this to people is what you do when you're angry, okay? Now, that's not actually meditation because it's not on the right thing, but it's actually the process is pretty similar. So you walk into work, and your coworker walks by with this kind of snarky look on their face, and they say, new haircut, ha <laughs> Then they walk on. You go down and sit down at your desk. What do you do? 
You run that over in your head a hundred times, don't you? New haircut, ha ha, what does that mean? Why did they, why'd their face look that way? I know it's a little short, but it's not bad. I guess they think it is. Ha ha ha, what does ha 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 mean, right? And you run it over in your head again and again, analyzing and examining exactly what that meant. The tone, the spirit, their facial expression. You start adding and, and, and you picture it over and over again. And pretty soon it affects your emotions, right? It's 50 degrees in the office. You're hot. Why are you hot? Because your, your emotions are stirred up over the thing that you're running over in your mind over and over again. And then not only does it affect your emotions, boom, it hits your will. You're walking to the water cooler, and that same person walks by, and you, you're like, oh, nice pants, really good. Ha, ha, ha. Walk on by, right? What happened? What you were running over in your mind affected both your emotion and your will. All right, now. What I just described to you is sinful. Do not do it, okay? Jesus is not pleased. He's mad at you when you do that. Don't do that. What I just described to you, you ought to do with the Scriptures. You ought to take them in with that kind of urgency, and you ought to run them over and over in your mind until it affects both your emotions and your will. That is a good picture of meditation. One of the things I learned in the last couple weeks is that Woodward is much more saturated with the New Age movement than I had realized. What I've realized, folks, is that we have in Woodward, Oklahoma, a merging of Christianity with the New Age movement at a a rate that I did not realize was happening, okay? The reason I bring that up is the New Age movement is all about meditating, But it's all about meditating the other way. You see, you want to empty your mind of everything. You want to push everything out until you're thinking about nothing and you reach this state of calm and nirvana, okay? That is not what the Word of God wants you to do. It's actually the opposite. The Word of God, instead of emptying your mind, it wants you to cram it, all right? It wants you to take God's truth and push it in, 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 rehash, rethink, force it into all the various corners of your life, working out the implications of your life, trusting that God will not lie to you and that through your delighting and receiving and obeying the Word of God that you'll have success in possessing the life that God's promised and provided. Now, practical stuff. Okay, ready? Get the word of God in your mouth, okay? So how do you meditate? Verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, right? So it needs to be coming out, right? That, that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what he tells Joshua is you need to have a mouthful of the word of God all the time. It's part of meditation. So how do you know when you're meditating? It's coming out of your mouth. It's coming out of your mouth. By the way, whatever's in your heart is gonna come out of your mouth. I think it's really cool that God has developed that that way. I know what Colt's thinking about. You know, he's three years old, but I know what he thinks about. He thinks about Silver the Train a lot. He thinks about Cliff the Bear a lot, you know, because he, he rambles on about him. Hey, I, it's funny. We were, uh, I was hugging my cousin last night. We were getting ready to leave uh, the wedding. And so she was outside talking to some people. And so I just came up and said, hey, cuz, I got to go. I got to preach tomorrow. And, and so I gave her a hug. And as I'm pulling away from her say, saying goodbye, and Cole doesn't know her. He, uh, that may have been the maybe second time he's met her. And, and he just pops in. He's, got, he's like, dad's going to mow the lawn. He said, I'm going to mow too. I have a little mower. I'm going to mow, you know. And he just started, you know, I'm like walking away. She's like talking to other people. He's still like, I'm going to mow. We're going to mow the grass. We're going to mow the grass with the mower, you know. I mean, he's just talking, talking. You know, what's on Colt's mind? Mowing, man. He's, he's a mowing guy. He likes to mow, okay. Because what is in your heart comes out of your mouth, which is an interesting question when you start asking yourself, have you talked about the Scriptures to anybody this week? Have you talked about God's truth? I'm not saying if you engage them in a Bible study, but I'm just saying, has it come out of your mouth? Have you talked about it? That's one of the ways you know you're meditating. You're talking about it. Not only are you talking about it, you're just murmuring about it. I'm sorry, Paula. One of the things you got to know about Paula, she talks to herself all the time. At first, I thought she was crazy when she first started coming to the church. She's not, okay? She's, she's perfectly sane, but she does talk to herself, especially when she's busy. But one of the cool things about that is that I know when she's memorizing Scripture. 
because I hear it, you know. I mean, she's not talking to me, but she's in there like, you know, shoveling paper, you know, doing, doing the bulletin. She's a, kind of a real fast worker, and she's like, you know, Lord of my Savior, I shout out to you. You know, she, she's, she, she's talking out loud, and I'm like, what, Paul? And she's like, oh, was I talking? You know, but it's, it's like coming out. You know how it's coming out? Because it's in her heart. What's in your heart comes out of your mouth, and it shapes you. So, so say the truth, all right? So this is just practical stuff. He tells Joshua, you know how you're going to know you're doing this? It's going to stay in your mouth. Number two, you're going to delight in it. All right, so how do you know if you're actually meditating on the word of God? It's going to be coming out of your mouth. Number two, you're going to be enjoying it. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. How do you know you're meditating day and night? Because your delight is on the law of the Lord. Part of meditation is enjoying God's truth. Have, have you ever seen? Uh, have you ever seen a new, bri- new, new, someone newly engaged? Okay, a lady. This is usually a lady. A lady that just got engaged. Have you noticed that for weeks she does this number just randomly throughout the day? You notice that she getting is she getting new information? You know, like a week later she like. That gum, there's a rock on there. I didn't see that before. No. No. No new information. What's she doing? She's savoring. She's admiring. She's delighting. She's saying, I'm going to get married. This is a symbol of a guy who, who's going to make a covenant with me for life. Looks great. Oh, man. Look how it looks. Look how it looks when I go like this. You know, it shines. Right? That's what she's doing. Psalm 1 tells you, delight, your, delight, delight, delight in it. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Is there not some pretty fantastic thing? Yeah, I've, Ephesians 2. Man, on, in my worst day, you know, you know what I like to do? Ephesians 2. I like, not, not read it. I, I just pull up pit, bits and pieces of it. Some of my favorites. Like this. I am seated in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians 2 says. You know what else it says? It says that in the coming ages, that God is going to lavish. I like that word. He's going to lavish upon me his riches in glory. Wow. Am I getting new information? No, I'm just, I'm savoring. I'm enjoying. I'm delighting in the truth of God. I'm delighting in the character of God. A couple days ago, I was, I was doing something, and, oh, I, I know what I was doing, but I'm not going to tell you what I was doing. It wasn't bad. I just can't tell you the situation, but I, I was scared. I was a little fearful. And, man, I just pulled up Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I'm with thee. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. Behold, I will help you. I will help you. What am I doing? I'm delighting in that. I'm saying, God, man got me what does it mean to meditate it means to to enjoy it to delight in the word of god all right so helpful hints here where are we at so should be in your mouth should be coming out of you you should be speaking it you should be delighting in it and then the third one these are just some helpful practical things you should be memorizing it now not all members and, I, and i'm not saying you got to memorize everything you read. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, if you want help meditating, then you start memorizing, okay? Now, it is possible to memorize without meditating. Let me give you an example. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. <laughs> I've never practiced that. In fact, I didn't, ha- I didn't, I didn't plan on saying it till the first service. I, I think I said it in the first service. I, I, I know I said it in the second, but I, I, just, I just thought, what if I memorized that, you know, actually I thought, jingle slogan and the first one that came to mind was like a good neighbor state farm is there i've never i've never practiced that i've never reviewed it in my mind i've never thought deeply about it i've never cherished it i don't even know that i believe it honestly (laughs) but but i memorized it without trying because someone forced it on me okay that's not the kind of memorization i'm talking about the kind of memorization i'm talking about is when when i take truths that are so good and I, and I want to go over them again and again and again. Right now I'm reading through 2 Kings. 
And a couple days ago, I was in that passage where um, the city, Jerusalem, is, is besieged by Syria. And things have gotten so horrific there that women are eating their own children. And Elisha the prophet says, God's going to change all this around in a day. And there's a couple lepers that are outside the city gate. And they're like, you know what, we're going to die here. We might as well go to the Syrians. They'll probably kill us, but hey, we're going to die anyway. And so they go out there to the Syrian army. And when they get there, they find out that God has done this incredible work of salvation. The army is gone, and all their supplies are there. And they're just going tent to tent, starving men that are feasting. And then the, the verse I'm memorizing, this, this verse was so good, I thought, I, I underlined my Bible, and I'm like, I'm going to memorize that. The verse is the lepers speaking, and here's what they say. They say, we are not doing good. And you know what? I, I paused on that phrase. I thought, Jason, how often does that hit you? That you're not, you're not living the way it ought to hit me. Every one of us ought to have times of confession. That's really what they're doing. They're confessing. You know what? I, I just realized I'm not living the way I ought to live. And they say, we are, not, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. You know what I did then? I paused on that. Good news. I just thought about how I'm living in a day of good news. I've got the ultimate news. They got the news that the Syrian army is gone and there's food for everybody. My news is better. Back to memorizing. You see, when I'm, you see memorizing is not just read, review, read, review. No, no, no. It's not, not, not when you do it meditatingly. It's we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. And then it says, if we remain silent. I can't tell you how many times sitting out by my little fire pit in my backyard on the chair that my family gave me for, uh, for, my, for Father's Day. I can't tell you how many times I rolled that word silent over in my head silent Jason if you do not say anything about this good news if we remain silent and wait till morning light surely punishment will overtake us therefore come let us go and tell the king's household that's the rest of the verse you see when you when you memorize that way what are you doing you're meditating aren't you and when you memorize scripture, all of a sudden, you can meditate anytime, anywhere. One of my favorite things to do is to pull up a passage of scripture while I'm exercising. Because some of the biggest breakthroughs spiritually have, have come from me when I'm exercising. I, I don't know what it is. Um, I've heard people talk about how you're endorphins and you think clearer. I don't think that's what it is for me. Um, I, I, think, I think it's that most of my brain is engaged on doing this thing that I really don't want to be doing, okay? You know how, have you ever watched Chariots of Fire and Eric Liddell, the, the star of that, he's a Christian runner. He says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I run, I feel God's pain, okay? So like, it's not that for me. What it is for me is it, it's kind of I, I, like all my efforts are, are, are on that, you know, kind of just keep running or riding or whatever I'm doing. And so then when I pull up a verse in my mind, it's almost like that's the only thing there. Like I don't, I don't struggle with distractions. And see, one of the things you're going to fight in meditating is distractions. You won't, you won't meditate if you can't remove those distractions. And for some reason, I don't know why, our culture, our generation struggles more with distractions than anybody else. I got a text from Ryan. He said he's going to announce that at Fifth Street. That's good. Our generation struggles for some reason with distractions more than most. And, you know, I don't know why it is. But, man, Andrew's already got the sermon online. That's awesome. Our generation struggles with taking a truth of God's word and just holding on to it and removing everything else. Crystal Castor posted a video, something about bubbles. Ah, there's Saray. That's, that's the wedding I went to yesterday. For some reason, our generation struggles with, with keeping our minds just on something for one. How hot's it going to be today? 94. You know what? It's 95 in the last service. It's getting better. Still too hot to exercise or anything, isn't it? Because I need to. I feel like I ate so much at the wedding. I've only taken 2,600 steps today. 
I don't know why our generation struggles to focus on one thing. Have I made my point yet? Okay, all right. I think there's some reasons. But we're distractible people, aren't we? And, and, and what God is telling Joshua is hold that truth in your mind. Hold it there, Joshua. Night and day. Go over and over it. Speak it, Joshua. Delight in it, Joshua. Make sure that you are careful to obey all this. Did you notice he says that two times? Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. You see, blessing comes when, when we are obedient to the word. And, and what, the, what the Bible's telling us here is that meditation increases our obedience. How? A couple ways. Okay, so when... Uh, Shelby and Fred and Jeff and I get together on Friday morning at 6.30 and we read a passage in the scripture. Our, and this is the model of all of our discipleship groups. We'll read a section and we'll talk through it and we'll pull out truths. But then at the end, we always try, we always attempt to say, okay, how am I going to obey this? And so the more that you roll those things around, the more that you grab those truths and you grapple with those truths and you delight in those truths and you're convinced of the goodness of those truths, the more likely you are to make a application, okay? So in that way, meditation really does enable us to obey all that we've read. But I love what David Mathis says in his book, Habits of Grace. He says, the reality though is, 99% of my life is lived spontaneously, right? So let's say that, those guys and me were reading a passage of Scripture, and in that passage of Scripture, it talks about um, parenting, you know? And, and I read that, and I embrace, and I, I see that I'm supposed to bring my children up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, and I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my evenings around so that, that I'm going to make sure that I read a little passage of Scripture with each one of my kids, and I make that application. That's great, but guess what? When I get in my car, you know, I may drive back home and walk into my house and my wife may be angry as all get out at me. Whoa, we didn't make an application about wives. We did about kids. What am I going to do? Well, and she never is, by the way. She is a beautiful creature who loves me. <laughs> Just hypothetical. Some of you guys deal with that. Sorry. But anyway, so what are you going to do? Okay, well, here's where meditation, listen, meditation changes the way you think. All right, does that make sense? So, so as, you, as you live a life of doing exactly what God told Joshua to do, shall not depart from your mouth, meditate on it day and night, be careful to do it. As you're doing that, it changes the way, it rewires. Your mind is broke to begin with. Like, you don't love God. You don't value God. You don't cherish God. You don't cherish His truth. It's bent the wrong way. You're selfish. You're prideful by nature. But as, as we immerse our minds in the Word, what happens? There's a rewiring that goes on. So, so Romans 12. I'll give you a whole bunch of these. Ready? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That happens through the Scriptures, through meditation on the Scriptures, embracing, believing, trusting the Scriptures, so that, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. He says, uh, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. See, knowledge and discernment in the Word of God enable you to know what's excellent, to, know what's, to be able to walk through life and spontaneously pick the good thing, not the bad thing. Pick the right thing, not the wrong thing. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 9 and 10 says the exact same thing. Paul says, And from this day that we heard, we not cease to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 talks about being skilled in the word of God. What happens when you're skilled in the word of God? Verse 14, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. That's what the Word of God does. It trains by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In other words, as you meditate on the Word of God day after day after day after day, night and day, your mind gets rewired 
and you start to think like God thinks. You start to love like God loves. And we begin to obey all that God has commanded. And when we obey all that God has commanded, we have success. Man, guys, how, how incredible is it that God says, you want to be blessed? You want to thrive? You want to succeed? You want to have the life that God's promised and provided? I'm giving you the book. Now, why would you and I walk out of here not resolved to make this a vital part of our lives? The only answer is we don't believe what we just heard. So I'm trusting that you'd believe this and that you would find a way to make the Bible central in your life. You're find a way. I, I, I just like to, I'm reading through 2 Kings right now, and I, I just like to, whatever I'm reading, grab onto something and make it, make it my prayer, me- meditate on it, think through it to the point that I'm praying it, asking God for it, cherishing it, delighting it, at times obeying. I, I mean, I just like, I like to do it that way. Maybe you're gonna need some other creative way. Awesome. You know, maybe, maybe for you, your little lock screen on your phone, you're gonna put whatever passage you're meditating on. You know, and so every time you open up that dude for a text, for the weather, for Facebook, for Twitter, for whatever, you're gonna first of all see that verse and, and maybe you just make the commitment. Look, I'm not looking at anything else. Nothing else is more important than me meditating on So every time I open this up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna meditate. I'm gonna pray through that verse before I go to anywhere else. Maybe by the time I do that, I won't wanna go to anywhere else. Maybe you got another plan. But you need to have a plan to make the Bible central in your life. Man, we all want to succeed. We all want to be blessed. We all want to do what we do for God's glory. So let's let's do it His way. He's made clear about what His way is. Father in heaven, please help us with this. Please, God, give us the resolve today to leave here committed to your truth, committed to the word, committed to meditating day and night, committed to delighting in and treasuring and speaking and obeying all that you've commanded. Father, we ask it in Christ's name.